0: Hi there, I'm Zach Raff. And I'm Donald Faison. We're real-life best friends, but we met playing fake life best friends, Turk and JD, on the sitcom Scrubs. 20 years later, we've decided to re-watch the series one episode at a time,
1: Hello, one. Hello, all. You are listening to 100 Words or Less, the podcast. Obviously, you're smart enough for that because you downloaded this thing, and I appreciate that. I'm Ray Harkins, your host. We're talking music of the independent variety, whether it's like punk, hardcore, DIY, indie rock, whatever it is, as long as it has that spirit of not asking permission, doing it yourself, and then figuring it out along the way, because that's what this podcast is. You know, some like some seven years in, I'm still figuring stuff out and learning new things. And uh, yeah, it's great. Today's show is awesome because I have Scott Hobart from Giant's Chair. Now, if you were not familiar with Giant's Chair, totally get it. I understand you are not of a certain age, but they loomed large in the sort of early 90s, mid 90s emo indie rock scene. And uh, I got keyed into them via cave in. I was aware of their band's name, and I was also aware of the record label they were on, so I checked them out. It didn't really connect to me till I kind of put it in the contextualization of where they sat in the scene, and they actually just released a new record in December of 2019 on Spartan Records. It's called Prefabalon, and it is a really, really good record. It's a great starting point if you've never listened to the band, so you definitely need to uh, check it out from that perspective. And you need to check this interview out because it was great. But let's get some, uh, some business pleasantries out of the way. Well, it's not even really business pleasantries. I just want to know how you are doing. So please email the show, 100wordspodcast at gmail.com. I always love to uh, interact with people from that capacity. And also, <clears throat> I was able to attend... Two cool things this weekend. One of them was uh, the iHeart Podcast Awards. And I know this sounds like I'm being like a company shill man because that's the company I work for. And obviously, I like podcasts. But, uh, it was pretty neat because, uh, I Heart radio, like they know how to put on an event and it was really cool to see uh, a celebration of some of the best podcasts around. It was very cute because my, uh, my eight year old son was like, daddy, are you winning an award? And I was like, no, no, I am not winning an award. I'm just going to this show because I work for the company and there's some, some cool stuff going on. So, um, yeah some great winners, like uh, the best music podcast was a previous guest of the show, Jake Brennan from Disgrace land and uh, there was also just just a ton of cool stuff there was a uh, i 'm trying to think if there 's any other you know music connections from that perspective, but i don 't think there was but it was a fun time and then the next night, I was able to go to see Poison the Well do their 20th anniversary show uh, celebrating the opposite of December. And, you know, to be honest, I haven't listened to Poison the Well on a very regular basis in quite some time. But man, the moment they started playing Opposite of December songs, I was just transported back to a time and place. And those songs still hold up. That record still is unbelievable. And uh, there were so many friends. And it was just a, it was such a positive show. I loved experiencing that. And I hope that you get a chance to see that band perform because I know that they're doing more shows. Like that is an absolute reality because this show sold out in like, I don't know. 10, 15 minutes or something like that. But it was a lot of fun. So yeah, just toss on opposite of December and you'll be like, oh man, that was really fun. And you can also dive super far back in the archives and you will hear an interview that I did with Chris Hornbrook from Poison the Well, the drummer. Uh, So yeah, check that out. But anyways, here is Scott from Giant's Chair. It was uh, was a really enlightening conversation because there was stuff that I just did not know about the band and not know about him. And uh, yeah, I hope you enjoy. So here is the chat. Um, So, you know, I'm 39 years old from Southern California and started to get into, you know, like punk and hardcore and indie rock and stuff and kind of, you know, like whatever, 95, 96. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, for a while, I I, I kind of resisted the idea of like singing music because, you know, that's what aggressive young teens don't like, you know, they're like, Oh right. yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I want the heavier stuff or whatever. Right. But then, uh, you know, as I, as my eyes opened up with, you know, bands like Texas is reason and Christy front drive and all that stuff, you know, I took a deep dive mm-hmm. into it and Caulfield records was definitely a you know, entry point for me and had such a good track record as far as everything they've released. And it was interesting when I found giants chair I, I immediately, I enjoyed it and I was taken with it, but it was one of those things where I was like, oh, these guys feel older. And I don't mean that in a pejorative, like, Uh you know, but it just felt uh, for lack of a better term. And, you know, people throw this around all the time, but like more mature, you know? Yeah. Uh, Have you got that sort of characterization before? Do you see kind of, you know, maybe where uh, a a random, you know, teenager from Southern California would define that?
2: Well, um, I feel like, actually just kind of recently with this new record we i we i don't know if it's really to your point but we just saw somebody was had just got the record in the mail was listening to it and they had just they, they were fans of Spartan records and they had never really uh, heard us before and they just kind of, but they like to buy all the Spartan stuff and they got it. And, um, and it, they're, I, I can't remember word for word what they said, but it was something to the, I feel like it was something that, you know, used the word mature and like it was more, um, yeah, there was something in the music for them that, that seemed to be, um, uh, you know, older, I guess to use your word. But, um, as far as back in the day, uh, I mean, I think we felt a little bit older because we were by, but not by much. I mean, when we were out with boys' life, um, I, we were, you know, they were probably two years or so, maybe, well, maybe a little bit more than that, younger than us. And um, but at the same time, we felt a little greener than they, than them because they had they'd already been around. And the same with some of the other. Uh, Bands around Kansas City that were getting out and around, you know, Season to Risk and Molly McGuire and this Germ Box and stuff. They were, they had already been out doing stuff. And so we kind of always, to some extent, I, I felt like we were um, younger in that respect. But, um, but no, not the, the you know, I, I haven't really heard the adjective of mature uh, or older sounding to any great degree, but a little bit.
1: Yeah, no, I, I, I get that. And I think it's, you know, it's weird, too, because like when, you know, your your first introduction to whatever genre of music, like that's kind of your, you know, the, the, the pole in which you compare stuff to. And so mm-hmm. if, if things sound a little bit more technical, you're kind of like, oh, yeah, like, you know, they are just more skilled players or whatever, you know? Right, yeah. And sometimes you attribute I, that to, you know, being a little bit older. And like you said, you know, maybe a year or two older, but like, you know, in those terms, that's like a world of difference. Sure, yeah. Um, and I
2: do think that, uh, you know, we have also we have had reviews of uh, that. people, you know, people said that of our uh, peers, you know, some of their bands and stuff that we were, uh, you yeah, know, more technically... Uh, adept, I guess, or, you know, we played, someone said we played circles around some of the other Midwestern <laughs> bands, but I'm not sure we all, we all, we all like it all. And sometimes, you know, you want to, you, you want to, you know, you want to hope that you were, uh, um uh you know, not just the technocrats in the room, but
1: yeah, right. You're not just like sh- we actually, shredding you know, we don't, to impress. Yeah. yeah. Right.
2: right. I wish I could shred more, uh, you know, I wish <laughs> I had more chops, but um, but anyway, that's always nice to hear if people think you do.
1: <laughs> yeah, and and I also uh, you know, I'm not sure if this got reflected back on you at any point too. But the um, uh, like Steve Brotsky from cave mm-hmm. um, you know he uh, he did a side project called Kid Kilowatt that was uh, very, very um, akin to what uh, Giant's Chair was doing and, you know, is, is still doing from that perspective. Yeah. Um, you know, a, a, and like once I, I fell in love with that project and I kind of worship at the altar of Steve Brotsky. So like when he started sure. kind of sprinkling like, oh yeah, Giant's Chair is really important. It kind of like all came full circle to me where I was like, oh yeah, I see like, you know, not only do I. That's and, cool. Yeah. So I, I don't know it, it were, if you were aware of that sort of like homage that was being paid to Giant's Chair.
2: Well, I know, um, I knew of Steve and I knew that, that, that cave In had covered the, um, the callous, that yeah. song. And, um, and of course, I mean, that is just, you know, you can't really hope for more flattering situation than someone taking your, your song and doing it, you know, that's always huge. Um, and then, yeah, and we, we did get a chance to play with them. They came through, we had, and not that long ago, uh, it was probably three years ago now hmm. they were, uh, a mutoid man was coming through. And so, uh, they asked if we could, if we would want to play. And we were by then writing the songs for the new record. And so it was fun to sit with him and, or stand with him and talk for a little bit about, about all that. And yeah,
1: that's super cool. That is, that, that is very cool. It is. It also is really neat to have, um, you know, that all kind of cycle back, Where people are still staying active in music, such as yourself and obviously Steve for that matter, and then being able Mm -hmm. to, you know, like you said, share the stage and just like, you know, talk to each other as peers as opposed to like, you know, Steve being a fourteen-year-old trying to rip off (coughs) chair, you know, like it just it's (laughs) kind of cool to have that.
2: Yeah, it is, and man, they slayed too. I mean, talk about someone, you know. I mean, plus they're hilarious, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, but just the technical, you know, that was definitely one of those nights where it's like, wow. Well, and I didn't have lyrics for a lot of the stuff, so I was kind of just scratch vocaling uh, <laughs> and some things. Sometimes that happens if I forget some things. But this at that stage, we were just glad to be. We just were kind of trying to start playing the songs out and get a feel for, you know, what what they would do live. And so, you know, not only was did he have words for his songs that were real, <laughs> he could also play the hell out of them. You know, yeah, and the whole band. You know, so, <laughs> so anyway, but yeah, right. You know, we're all yeah to be able to kind of come full circle you know and um and sort of all be the same age ultimately
1: yeah totally because yeah i mean to your point earlier when you are you know anywhere between like 16 to 23 if a person is you know two or three years older than you that is like such a vast difference even though you know yeah when you're 39 versus 42 it's like no one cares like there's no right (laughs) there's no difference exactly yes (laughs) um so kind of reflecting on you as a person you know i I know you were uh, there's you know some biographical information i'm going to skip across just because you know that's been reiterated in a bunch Mm -hmm. of different places but i understand you were born and raised in kind of rural missouri like how Mm -hmm. how rural are we talking about are we talking about like you know like one stoplight town or yes okay exactly it was a it was it's a
2: uh, they have a couple of stoplights and actual traffic lights now because, you know, the fast food comes in and then the things get a little, a little yeah. more hectic. But when I was growing up, I mean, we literally had one red flashing stoplight in the center of town. And um, and so it was, I think, you know, we we joked there was 4,000 people on a good day in town, you know, generally. So, I mean, it's not the smallest town in Southern Missouri, but it was, uh, definitely one of the smaller ones.
1: Yeah. And I think to your point, I think it's one of those things where I, I think it's good for people to, you know, either be raised from or have an experience of staying in a town that is that tiny because it not only mm-hmm. gives you perspective and something to you know, compare stuff to, but um, yeah. Like my my stepfather was raised in a town called Farmington, Illinois, and it was like, mm-hmm. like to your point, it was like I mean, I think it was a little bit larger, but you know, me being a suburb boy getting exposed mm-hmm. to you know rural yeah. Illinois life, I was like, oh yeah, the world is bigger than just my suburb <laughs> or whatever.
2: Yeah, yeah. The the fabric, you know, of it all. The the contrast for me, the contrast between growing up there and you know really you know i've spent 18 years i mean all my formative years were down there and then um at 18 to uh to come up to kansas city which is four hours away and um just kind of be transplanted and and to be transplanted in a very creative environment of a you know an art college and a music scene is pretty mind-blowing totally in a really great way you know
1: oh boy I love shows, I love going to shows, I love having experiences at shows, stuff that is like a little bit different than maybe just going to a venue, watching a band play go to soundrink.com and they will deliver that in spades. So they have all of these amazing VIP ticket upgrades that you can include on many of the tours that are coming through your city. I have seen stuff like, you know, play Jenga with your favorite band, go grab some coffee. Here's a really cool in-depth acoustic Q&A with the band. I've seen so many of these awesome, awesome options. And what makes it even cooler is that they work hand in hand with band and the management to be able to make sure they're crafting that experience that's you know true and authentic to the band because you've been to something that a band doesn't want to do, right? Like, you know, like a random autograph signing at like a you know a mall store. Like that's that's a nightmare. No one really wants to do that. But these experiences are exactly what the band wants to do because they've selected them. So go to soundrink.com. They have this vip ticket game on lock and they will make sure that your experience is well worth every penny that you paid for it so soundrink.com thank you for supporting the show and go to some more shows okay you know at that point you were ready to kind of you know be exposed to the, mm-hmm. the world outside of it like, did you feel I, I mean obviously because you went to a larger city and you know wanted a, a larger experience did you have that kind of like you know small town i can't wait to break out of it sort of you know vibes going on or was it just kind you know of- it's funny I, I never I never really felt that way I don't know if I just had a fear of
2: not appreciating where I where I was from because it was sort of the cliche that you know I just want to you know shake the dust off and get out there I'll never come back to this town and I always just assumed I would miss it when I left and so I kind of tried to appreciate it as best I could while I was there and um and so it wasn't I mean, I, I was excited by the adventure of it all, and and um, and had really no idea what to expect when I got away f- from there. But I, you know, I went back and was glad to go back the following, you know, the after my first year of college to work, you know, mowing lawns or whatever, you know, just to work and go back home for the summer. Um, so I was not in any huge hurry to get away necessarily. No but I'd be glad I did and and it was you know it's all been good,
1: yeah, sure, sure, well, I, I think the comedian Pat Oswalt, like he you know made some joke or because like, he was raised in a small town in Virginia, and mm-hmm. he said the moment that people started talking about working at the local gas station because they get free gas, like yeah that that is it's like, oh, like yeah, you have no ambitions beyond just this this you know five mile radius or whatever, right.
2: And yeah, I mean, I guess maybe that works on some level for some folks, but I, you know, I don't, I I guess I figured I would leave, uh, you know, I need to, would go. So it wasn't like I, yeah, I wasn't planning on staying, but I was not, yeah, trying to run away from home anytime sooner.
1: (laughs) Yeah, sure. No, totally get that. Um, And so what was your family structure like? You know, mom and dad in the house, brothers and sisters, what did that look like?
2: that so my mom and dad uh for you know till i was 8 and then they split up and um and my dad was around pretty much and then uh but then he ultimately he was a shoe repairman and so by then you know it was just getting harder and harder uh if you weren't living in a bigger city to find people who were buying shoes fancy enough to want to get them fixed or something sure. so he so he, he ended up moving up to St. Louis. And so it was just, uh, my mom and my sister and I, and, um, that, that was pretty much the immediate life. I mean, he w- he was around and would come and visit and, um, and we went up there and stayed with him a time or two also. And, um, so that was sort of the family vibe. My grandmother and grandpa, My mom's mom and dad lived in Houston, Missouri, which was about sixty miles away. So we would go down to their town, which was maybe like three people larger than our town. Um, And so we would spend time a little farther down in there. um, uh, You know, spend some spend summers a little bit down there if my mom was gonna go to Opryland or something. Sure. And then, uh, so that was pretty much the, the immediate family scene.
1: Got it. Got it. And you, mm-hmm. are you the oldest b- between you and your sister?
2: Yes. Uh huh. Yeah. Okay. She was, she was a couple years older. I, she's passed now, but, she, um, we had a, um, but yeah, that was our, just two years apart. Uh huh.
1: Got it. Got it. Um, What age was she when she passed away? I'm sorry to hear that. Oh yeah, so she was. um, She had
2: struggled with addiction, and um, so it was. She. It was really about, I guess, four years ago or so when it finally got her, and
1: um, you know, just
2: a kind of a you know bad accident type thing that. But it you know was drug related. So yeah, Uh, and then yeah, so that's that. That's what, that's what happened there.
1: Yeah, no, that's, that's rough. And you, I mean, you, you you can't help but uh, look at the, you know, um, I guess the, the boredom that exists in a lot of small towns and obviously like, you know, Mm -hmm. did you, um, you know, and and you, I'm sure had some of that as well. I mean, like, you Mm know, was I guess was that kind of pervasive around your town, not even like drugs, but just kind of the, the, the boredom of like, Oh man, like, what are we going to do today? I guess, right. Yeah.
2: I mean, I think there, yeah, there was, there was, uh, uh, I think some of that, of course, you know, you can, there was a lot, there was, I felt like, um, you know, the, kids older than me, you know, I was I was pretty much a straight edge kid for, for whatever reason. I think I kind of, I mean, my folks had split up because my dad was an alcoholic and and so I kind of had a ingrained sort of paranoia about it, but the the older class kids and stuff, I, I just remember them going to the river to party and stuff. So I suppose that was, you know, part of that, but I think that happens uh, in, you know, any you know, high school population. Um, they're just, you know, people just trying to find some kind of excitement no matter where you are and you're going to think you're bored no matter what. So just seeing what's out there. Um, but I do feel like, you know, with the, you know, when I look back, um, you know, the opioid thing, you know, that, has really decimated a lot of things down there and math also. I mean, it, and I do think that, the, yeah, there's just a sort of this, well, you know, there's nothing else really going on and I am not aspiring to do anything else. And there's, you know, no opportunity. So why not just obliterate, you know? Yeah, totally. I, I feel like that's a thing for sure.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it definitely, I mean, when you combine all of these elements of like everything you're talking about, like you said, plus the boredom, plus the idea mm-hmm. that like, you know what, what, like I got brought into this world, into these like weird circumstances and like, I'm mm-hmm. in a small town, like how the hell am I going to get out of here? And then you just feel that, you know, that cycle happening over and over.
2: Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's pretty rough.
1: Did you actually like, were you claiming straight edge? Like, were you aware of that or that was just kind it, of, it
2: was funny. Like I, I, I did not really know a lot about what I didn't know anything really about punk culture. Um, I ultimately, whenever I, I, I was a skateboarder and I I started skating with some guys who were, um, from the, the college town about 10 miles away, Rolla, Missouri, and they were more into punk culture. And I was in, you know, I would get, um, you know, skate magazines. And so I kind of started to see that there was a different world and some different, you know, things going on. But I do remember, I, you know, while I never put a, I had, I never had black X's on my hands, but I do remember for a while, for a long while I was drawing every day, I would draw, um, a skull and crossbones on my hand and I don't even know where it came from. That's but it so was, good. You know, yeah. It was like a vaguely, uh, It was a vague X, really, but uh, it was a skull and crossbones for some reason, and it was definitely during my, you know, you guys are just fucking your lives up by partying, and I'm just skating.
1: Yeah, you know, wow. I, I have to say, I mean, I, I I'm still straight edge myself, and I, uh, you know, I, I definitely like X'd up in high school, like you know, going yeah. to school. But like, I can safely say I have never heard a skull and crossbone X like vaguely resemble it. Like, that is that is a beautiful piece of poetry, Scott. I like that.
2: It's, I don't know. It's just funny. Like, yes, the um, coincidence of it all right? it dogs me.
1: <laughs> totally. No, I love that. I love that. It's just like you know, accidental straight edge that you were claiming via a, a right. crossbone <laughs> <laughs> yes that's so good um and so I, I mean i find that interesting that uh you know you started i mean most people that are of a certain age definitely get you know bitten by the skate bug and then you know start to get exposed to subculture via that mm-hmm. because you know that was really uh you know so pervasive within uh that time frame so oh yeah it sounds like skate culture was basically your sort of like entry point and who um I guess who kind of introduced that to you or was that just like, you know, amongst the town kids?
2: Well, so we, I remember seeing, um, uh, um, back to the future and, uh, Michael J Fox, you know, his skateboard, you know, he was a skater basically, you know, in that movie. And so I was like, Oh my gosh, I want to, I want that, you know? And then at some point I also saw fast times at Ridgemont high, and so that was kind of a surf thing and, uh, you know, it just was intriguing to me. And I, you know, it was at a moment where you're kind of trying to figure out who you are and trying to recreate yourself. And, um, and so, yeah, I think I was, uh, that's probably where I first started seeing that. And then that's when I wanted to get a skateboard for Christmas uh, and I did, and it was all, you know absolutely obsessive skating then from then on you know we built and in fact you know my my day job here now i i work i build sets for a children's theater and i learned how to do that those kinds of things by building skate ramps you know um you know learning how to use some power tools and how to frame up a strange shape or or whatever so um it's really yeah the whole yeah skate Culture has been a entry into a lot of things for me that I didn't even realize until much later.
1: No, I love that. Because I think most of us that get raised in, you know, these weird subcultures, you're like learning skills, but you don't have it's not like you're saying that as you're doing it. You're not like, oh man, right. I'm really learning some beautiful woodwork here. You're like, no, I have gotta build a <laughs> skate ramp, dude. Yeah, I just want to have, I just wanna skate. Yeah. I, I just gotta <laughs> drop in. I gotta have a half pipe, obviously. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so then, uh, you know, did, so clearly you recognize the the music connection, like as you started to probably watch, you know, some rudimentary skate videos or just, you know, see stuff in thrash. Oh, yeah. What was, I guess, kind yeah. of the entry point band-wise from that perspective?
2: Well, so around then, you know, uh, Bones Brigade uh, stuff was happening. And, um, and so Agent Orange... Uh, I I think they were on like the first Bone Brigade video, um, I think. Anyway, I know for sure I learned about Agent Orange through um, skate culture. So yeah, Agent Orange, and then it's some somewhere around there too. Um, so I, this is another thing that intrigues me about my hometown growing up, and it's in skating and all that. Um, it's funny because the town over the the college town. And Rala, you know, I don't know what their population was, but, you know, at least three times our town and probably more when school was in. Um, And they, uh, they, you know, my skater friends over there, they were constantly having the skate harassment thing happen, you know, the just jocks or whatever. and. I never really had that happen. I mean, it was all, you know, our town, you know, we would go, we'd be skating around while everybody else was cruising and drinking and whatever, and they would just pull in and see what we were up to and said it was so cool and, you know, they loved it. And so it was very supportive and, ever, you know, it was not a, a strange friction at all. And then, um, and some of those guys who would have been considered, you know, jocks or at least, you know, that was their world were also... Going up to St. Louis to see, um, you know, like punk shows, and they would, you know, and I was actually I would hear about these shows that and the bands they were going to see, and I was just kind of frightened by it all. <laughs> I was like, oh I my mean, gosh, you guys, how could you go up there and just jump into all this craziness? And um, but anyway, they would bring back, you know, uh, stories and band names or whatever, you know, and um, and then at some point they they were also into, uh, the repo man soundtrack, that movie. Yep. And it was huge. I mean, we were just, we were, you know, it was like, Oh my gosh, you know, all those pro, you know, real punk bands. Um, and so that was huge, I guess. So musically uh, that all kind of happened around the same time. Nice, and nice. very influential.
1: And how did your, um, you know, because it, it sounded like your, your mom was the one that was doing most of it, I guess the the parenting as far as being, you know, mm-hmm. living with her and stuff. How, you know, as you started to get into this weird stuff that she probably had no context for, how did she react to it?
2: Oh, she was, so my mom was a hairdresser and she, um, she you know, she, she was just, she was like, I don't care as long as you're not getting into trouble, you know, you can, do whatever you want, and so I was having her give me, you know, crazy haircuts and <laughs> That's um, awesome. dyeing it, you know, or do what anything, you know. I was just trying to be nonconformist in some any way I could, and um, and she just was all for it, and she, so she would just do whatever I wanted and let me do wear whatever I wanted or anything, and she just figured it was pretty harmless and, you know, just part of the. Uh, you know, a per- personal evolution. And so I have to thank her a lot for not, you know, you know, really yeah, care. She was just, she was just like, well, you're, you're the one who has to wear it. So whatever you want to do. Totally. Yeah. So she, she was very good about that. And, you know, music, I mean, she didn't, she didn't understand or care really too much about what I was listening to, but she, she did, I think she did value, um, you know, culture, And so she would, um, she would take us up to St. Louis, which was the two, you know, that was only two hours away from where I grew up. And we would go up there to see, you know, plays, big Broadway plays, or, um, we would go, she took us to see our first concerts. You know, my first big show was culture club in in, um, St. Louis. And then she took us to see rush at least twice, me and my buddies, Um, And then, uh, you know, just, you know, whatever. She was just, she just felt like that was worthwhile, I guess.
1: Yeah, she was supportive. No, that's really cool.
2: Yeah. And then I was also at the same time into (laughs) breakdancing. And it was just, I mean, it was a real soup of, of culture craziness. In a
0: world where everyone is confined to their homes, society begins its largest bin watch to date. Join us for fake doctors, real friends on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Rockabilia.com Use this code, PC100Words, and that gets you 15% off your order. The reason I give that to you first and foremost is that so you don't forget it. Once you visit the website, you will be absolutely spending as much money as possible on the rad band merch that they have. This is an independently run company, all officially licensed merch. They ship it out to you fast. They have... Hundreds and thousands of pieces of merch. I love it. Why don't you go there right now and you'll be able to find some, uh, you know, maybe some gifts for your uh, your Valentine's Day sweetheart. Okay, maybe maybe you can buy them some nice band merch stuff, and they'll be like, oh wow, that's very thoughtful of you. You must have ordered this, and you know you you thought ahead as opposed to running out to the corner store and getting some horrible flowers. You don't need that. But Rockabilia is the real deal. They have high quality band merch, stuff that will last you for years and years to come rather than those horrific bootlegs that you see all over the internet. You don't need to do that to yourself, nor do you need to do that to anybody that you purchase it for. So like I said, use the code PC100, that's the number 100, words, and that gets you 15% off your order. I love them so much. So please go check out the website and you will, uh, yeah, you'll buy a lot of stuff, okay? Now here's the rest of the show. I mean, I appreciate you mentioning that because I, I think it's so, it's fun to, uh, you know, when you're a kid and you're pretty much devoid of context, like you're just mm-hmm. into stuff because you like it. You don't, yeah. you know, you don't have, I mean, of course there's the judgment of friends being like, oh, dude, that's lame. You're doing this thing or whatever. But, you know, for the <laughs> most part, like you can kind of skate by on some of those things if you find the appropriate, you know, if you, e- e- even if just one of your friends likes breakdancing, you're like, all right, that's, that's cool. Like I got my community. Yeah.
2: Oh, yeah, definitely. And that's about what it was. It was me and maybe two other guys who would... (laughs) Who were doing that while you know? And you know, well, are we going to break dance or skateboard tonight skateboard, at, yeah. the, at the um, at the supermarket parking lot? You know,
1: of course, yeah, mm. that's beautiful. Um, and l- like you mentioned, um, you know, college was kind of an awakening for you in regards to mm-hmm. you know getting you more into like independent music and all that sort of stuff. Um, but I guess prior to that, like, did you um, did you care about school? Did you have kind of like ambitions for yourself in regards to like, oh, this is a career I'm going to do
2: um no not really I I you know sort of around the seventh grade era by then I was uh not a good student I could always draw and and paint I liked to you know I was I could ace art no matter what and drafting I loved drafting and shop class and those things but uh and I liked to write um but you know i whenever it came to like diagramming sentences or doing any kind of math, I was a a terrible failure. And so then um, eventually I just kind of hobbled through, but I was in no way uh, um, academically inclined at that moment. It was more just, well, if I can just – you know, my mom was like, uh, you know, if you can just make it through and graduate, then maybe you'll go off to art school and you can draw all you want and maybe that'll be good. So Got it. She was, she was kind of on that, you know, she, I mean, she wanted me, yeah, I mean, she was frustrated by my poor uh, grades. And in fact, at some, at one point, I, she, I went to a private school, a Christian school, because she was just like, I have no, I mean, she was in no way religious, you know maybe agnostic and it was just like well you got to we got to figure out something so she sent me to a christian a baptist school in raleigh you know in the big town over and so that was pretty interesting and um,
1: she just tried to find some structure for you that worked
2: yeah yeah so i went there for a, you know half the last half of one of my 7th grade year and the first half of my 8th grade and then then i got back to my regular school and and that was sort of whenever really started getting into the skate culture and, and different stuff like that. But sure. Um, I can't remember where I was going with that, but
1: no, no, no. Yeah. You were, you were, you were, you know, wrapped that oh, up. I'm so. not a good student. Yeah. <laughs> you're not a good student. Right. You didn't have the, no. the ambitions were just like, yeah, I like putting pen to paper and drawing. And yeah. That's kind of and want, then, right?
2: you know, and then started playing guitar too. So that was part of, that was really the, all I wanted to do. And then, um, uh, but yeah, so eventually I, I did end up going to back to college. We'll get to that maybe later, but I don't know.
1: Yeah, for sure. I and
2: don't then, want to jump ahead too much. I'll let you lead. <laughs> no,
1: no, it's totally good. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, th- that's where I was headed. Are you where, there? Yeah. Can you hear me? Yeah, now I can. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's uh, that's where I was headed in regards to, um, you know, the uh, you getting exposed to the idea of, you know, actually like playing in a band. Because, I mean, Giant's mm-hmm. Chair functionally is your first band, right? Like, did you play anything else prior to that in high school or anything?
2: Um yeah, we had you know, we had some different bands like a a cover band. I did have one full original band that had I don't know, we probably had five tunes maybe and we played one show and then but other than that it was really just a variety band basically. It was just all of us guys who had by then started playing guitar and drums and stuff. Just we would I think there were four of us and we would just all pick like three songs that we wanted to do. And so it was a real mashup, kind of classic rock and college alternative type stuff. Um, and so that's where I probably w- cut my teeth playing in a band. And then, and in fact, after I went to came to Kansas City and started playing with Byron, the bass player from Giant's Chair, and we um, we were still playing with some of those guys. We would travel on the weekends because they were available and I was like, well, we already got a drummer and a guy if we can get there. So we would start, you know, we would, we were still playing with my high school guys at first, but yeah. Um, as far as, uh, you know, a band that was doing, you know, trying to write and record and make records was, um, it was with Byron first and we had an, we had another band called hollow rain before giants chair, it was hollow rain and then hot boy with different, you know, we had different drummers and people, but it was always Byron and I, and then giants chairs when we got together with Paul and, and Byron's old high school friend. And got that's, uh, got that's it. what happened. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, and so, you know, a, as you started to kind of like get out there in regards to giants chair and like, you know, play shows and do all that sort of stuff. Like clearly, you know, at that time in the, you know, whatever, (laughs) the getting off of the, you know, Mm -hmm. sort of grunge hangover where everybody was, you know, signing bands and independent rock was the new thing. And, you Mm -hmm. know, but bands obviously of the sort of indie rock, you know, emo genre, like there's no career path, you know? So I, I presume, I presume that you guys were just basically kind of like putting one foot in front of the other in regards to like, Hey, I guess we'll go on tour now. I guess we'll release a record. Like there's no grand plan. Right.
2: I really didn't know that it, it was more like Byron and Paul, they had grown, they were from Green Bay and uh, Byron, especially because we were, you know, we, we met each other the first day of college and he had a, you know, he was, he had come from this really vibrant punk scene in, in Green Bay where there were, you know, all ages shows all the time and people making records and selling records and doing their thing. And so I kind of learned about it all from there and it and it, it you know it was just like well and then some you know our friends here in kansas city who were starting bands at that time you know that just seemed that's just what you do you know it's just the you know you get together try to get some songs try to record and um you know try to play out as much as possible and hopefully get out of town and so yeah it just becomes more clear to you what you know what the the path is you know what what needs to have burst because ultimately you just want to be out there rocking, you know?
1: So, yeah, that was it. (laughs) It's like, Hey, I could play. play Are you there? Yep. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Hello?
2: Can you hear me? Yeah, I can. I don't know why it keeps cutting out like that, but I guess we haven't lost each other
1: fully yet. No, no, no. Yeah, we're good. Um, But yeah, no, it makes sense because you're just, you know, operating off the idea that like, well, this is a fun thing. We're just going to follow it till it's yeah logical end, like whatever that may mean.
2: Right. I think the, I think the thing is, is that we were, I, I always just wanted the romance, I think, and the adventure of getting on the road with a band. I mean, that seemed just the the ultimate, it was always, you know, you would just, you know, once you started getting into you know music, and you are idolizing people, you know, rock bands or whatever. I mean, it just is absolutely so romantic and so adventurous that that's what you wanted to. That's what I wanted to do, and I, you know, that was the focus. It wasn't um, that man. If I could just get out there on the road, then I could be making a bunch of money or something. It was just if I could get out on the road, I could see mountains and right. be. Play, you see, know, see the Pacific playing. Ocean.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that's a huge, I, it, it's funny. Cause that's such a huge thing for anybody that doesn't live in California or in the West mm-hmm. coast in general, where it's like, oh yeah, if I can see like the Atlantic and the Pacific with like my band, like that's, oh my God, yeah. I can't even believe that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It was just, that was the goal.
1: Yeah, for sure.
2: Um, and, I mean, you want to,
1: ri- you want to write good songs of and course, make of good course. Rec- records. Right, through, right. But, yeah. Know, there's other, there's other goals. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so the, something I find interesting, too, because this is such a uh, a thing of the the time. And all, obviously, when bands don't have any sort of like career ambitions, you know, you guys released two full lengths in pretty quick succession, you know? Right. It's um, like, you know, because whatever, within a year and a half, you were releasing mm-hmm. both of those. And, you know, whereas bands now like clearly have a calculated path of like, OK, here's an 18 to 24 month album cycle. And, you know, those words didn't exist back then yeah um i presume the the fact that you guys put those out so quickly was just the fact that you had all of these songs written and there was a lot of creative energy and juices flowing where you're like yeah we got to get it out there because yeah our old our our full length like our first one like that that's you know that's old now like we got right we got to get the new one out
2: yeah we were just trying to keep writing and uh there was definitely more ideas and we all lived together and we could practice three days a week. And, um, so yeah, I mean, we had it and I guess I felt like, or we felt like, you know, you just kind of keep producing and, um, and then, you know, we did, we, we felt a little like we wanted, you know, once we had got the first record out and toured on it, you know, you do want to just kind of start it over again and, um, as soon as possible. So yeah, we were just, per, you know, just trying to stay prolific. Um, just keep writing. Cause it, it was too, you know, you get, you get better as a band and it just becomes more fun to write because you can kind of do more stuff and you can, you can, um, you know, whatever you're hearing, you can make real sooner, I think.
1: Sure. Yeah. You just want to get it out there because mm-hmm. there's no, you're like, why would you wait on it? Because it's like, well, yeah, we can just like, you know, two or more and that's fine. Yeah. Right. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Yeah. We, we definitely wanted to just keep making stuff.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. And we,
2: yeah, we didn't know anybody. Right. (laughs) Yeah. We don't know. And in fact, right now I'm kind of like, well, this record actually hasn't even, I mean, it drops on Friday for real and I'm already trying to write new bits because it just seemed like it took so long to get the songs together this time that you know, and just to kind of get on top of the whole thing, I just want to make sure those crank, those uh, wheels keep turning, you know?
1: Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. So. Well, especially too, when you're in such a different station in your life, and mm-hmm. like you said, it takes a lot longer to get all these things moving in synchronicity. Right. So it's not like, you know, yeah, it's not like you have an abundance of time to be like, Hey, cool. Yeah. Let's just like hang out and drink beer and get right. pizza or whatever.
2: Yeah. yeah. You definitely have to be efficient and thoughtful and uh, strategic, really, you know, yeah. which is fun too. I mean, that's fun to just kind of plan it, plan it all out too.
1: Yeah, exactly. You have a structure to it, and not just like mm-hmm. you're not just reactionary,
2: right? Um, yep.
1: Something that I, uh, you know, a thread I wanted to pull on from kind of you know previous interviews that you've done, because um, I, I think. This doesn't get, um, it's kind of an overarching theme, but it doesn't get like spoken about very much. Where, Mm -hmm. um, you know, you've mentioned in uh, previously like the immediacy of this scene is kind of what struck you the most. Like once you started to, you know, really get out there with giant's chair and start to, you know, experience all these bands and tour and yeah. all that sort of stuff. Um, you know, uh, talk to me a little bit more about kind of, you know, I, I understand what you mean by that, but just like, you mm-hmm. know, what was it the BDSC in regards to how, you know, quickly you could put out music or like how you could book shows or was it like just basically a combination of all of those things?
2: I feel like it, um, it has to do with, I mean, the excitement of, you're just getting closer and closer to the core of where the action is. Um, and you know, yeah, in the sort of most basic sense, it's like, wow, I'm, I'm buying an art of a, a record from the guy who is, who just who wrote these things, you know, and this is so immediate. Um, that to me is super exciting. And, um, and then, you know, you're, you know, just being as face to face as possible, um, was really, um, energizing. And so, so, uh, I don't know. I mean, it's pretty, it seems pretty simple. I think that's, I'm not sure I can say much more about how no, how cool I, it is.
1: Yeah. I think that's, it is something that is so engaging when you feel, uh, you know, Of a certain age where it's like, you Mm -hmm. don't feel like you've got many choices in life because you're told to go to school, go to work or whatever, Mm -hmm. do all these things that are, you know, prerequisites of you. But then when you're given this sort of really open playground to be like, oh yeah, like you can create something from nothing. You can book the show. Like that just feels like you, not even so much from a control perspective, but just the idea that you can work on something that didn't exist before
2: right yeah that is true and yeah down to the artwork you know that was an that's another thing is for me as a visual person um you know i I, I derive a huge amount of pleasure from dreaming up what this thing could look like even you know uh, let alone you know even just aside from what it sounds like you know and the and flyers and the whole the whole thing i just love that you you know at this stage i mean i I definitely appreciate you know that when uh, the labels can do all the stuff they can do and make and help you make things real but as far as visualizing um you know whether orally or visually a, a thing that was like you said not there was nothing there before and it just it just comes from inside you is you know it's just there's, it's just magic, you know?
1: Totally. And too the fact that you feel like you're part of this, this secret society, like, you know, your, Mm -hmm. your parents and your elders don't have any idea of what this, you know, (laughs) whatever they hear you play in a band and you're just like, they they don't know what that means. Right. And so (laughs) the fact you can just exist completely, you know, on your own and unencumbered, um, you know, given some guardrails, but like, yeah, you can right. just experiment and be as weird as you want.
2: Yeah. And you might end up, you know, at calling them from a payphone in Los Angeles too. <laughs> it's like, and that, I just, I love that bit too, wherever, whenever we did get on the road to be able to you know, you just felt like you'd really done something you were out there you know just barely scratching by or but you'd made it that far and to be able to call your mom from the road is always a thrill
1: totally yeah just <laughs> just to be like hey i'll bet you never thought i'd be here with my dumb band right but, yeah <laughs> that's right with all this noise <laughs> totally uh something that always struck me about giant's chair too was the um you know i guess the aesthetic of it i mean especially with your first two records mm-hmm. um it, it it was just so um I mean, for lack of a better term, uh, just like modern art stuff where it was like, it was very simple, um, very plain, but, you know, delivered the, uh, I I guess, impression uh, that this was something that was very, you know, thoughtful and thought out as Mm -hmm. opposed to, you know, maybe other things that were obviously very sort of. Um, you know, hand to mouth, cut and paste. Not like they looked bad, sure. but just yeah, yeah. It, it, it definitely was a very distinct difference that I noticed between you guys and you know other your other contemporaries. Uh, I presume that was a very deliberate thing on your guys's part.
2: Yeah, I was working at a print shop, and I um could, could print, and by then I was also starting to um um I was into well, so one of our roommates was Brady from Hammer Press, and so we had been from the get go pretty involved with, uh, or at least, you know, we had access to that sort of like letterpress and, um, and a sensibility of, um, you know, materials and, um, uh, these things. So we want, we wanted, we wanted to make s- something that was special and that was kind of happening, not just for us here, but, you know, it just seemed like, um, it, at, at that moment with independent record labels and stuff, I felt like people were trying to make something extra cool or special or tactile. And, and for me as a, I guess a graphic designer, I just wanted, I was trying to peel back all the layers and just get to these, the the bare essentials of, of a thing. Um, I didn't want to make stuff that was representational, um, and in fact that's in the lyrics too I think I didn't want um, at least the first record it's pretty obtuse and I just was uh, kind of it was a um, um, almost random imagery sometimes I mean it was things that I felt somehow attracted to you know words but it was really just kind of putting them together and, and seeing what shapes they would make almost mm-hmm. And and so I was you know, I really loved the idea of pairing things down and getting it to this sort of almost mysterious, um, uh, minimalism. Yeah. Uh, so that's yeah that was kind of always a thing except for the first seven inch we did which we were definitely in the old photo right. <laughs> moment of course with, which was fun and i just love that from the you know the difference between the hot boy seven inch and the um and the first record it's sort of eons you know, even though it was about a, you know, two years maybe or something.
1: Sure. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so much changes. And especially to Mm -hmm. like, once you start to add all these other influences into your life and start to, you know, get a broader scope of things, you're like, Oh Mm -hmm. yeah, actually I I like that more than I like, you know, just choosing a stock photo out of a, you know, encyclopedia or whatever. Right. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and so, you know, when you, did you like, I guess touring in general? Um, you know, I, I know that there's that, sense of adventure. And like you said, the, you know, calling your mom from a payphone in LA or like there's those, those moments. Was there any, uh, I guess kind of, did it wear on you at all? Did you, um, or did you just kind of enjoy it in general?
2: Oh my gosh. I enjoy it so much. Um, I mean, it's just still, it's the, the, it's just like dreaming yourself on vacation in a way. I mean, it is a lot of work and you're, you know, you're on a schedule and stuff, but, um, I can't, you know, it's kind of the, the adage of, um, a bad day on the road is better than, <laughs> than a good day at work, <laughs> good yeah, day at sure. work you know, <laughs> right. um, but you know, the thing that I, I, we, we were booking tours with, um, you know, on a phone with an Atlas and a mailbox, you know, and it was before email and everything. And, um, so that was a grind and that was, that was a little hard because you're just constantly, you know, you literally leave messages every day and hope someone gets back and you just have to be the, the most obnoxious person of the hundred that they're getting calls from. And that was kind of, you know, you're just cold selling yourself when no one's heard of you. And that's kind of a drag, but at the same time, when you get, you know, one show comes through for all that work, it's totally worth it. And, um, you just you know you're just a little bit farther down the road so i i love it i love the road
1: yeah no that's really cool and you know since giant chair was such a uh, you know quick you know what i mean the duration of the band was what like maybe four or five years or am i missing yeah yeah
2: yeah it was about um yeah it was four probably four or five yeah
1: sure um and so you know as, as things started to you know come to kind of a a I guess, quote unquote, logical end as far as like, okay, Mm -hmm. we've done all that we can do with this. Um, Mm -hmm. You, um, you know, you you obviously still went on to, you know, create music with your, you know, Rex Hobart and all that Mm -hmm. sort of stuff. Um, You know, did you have, I guess, a difficulty sort of getting out of giant's chair in regards to like, you know, Hey, I'm Scott from giant's chair. Like people obviously <laughs> wrap up and I'm not saying like, you know, you're egotistical, but like, you know, right, people, yeah. you wrap up, like that's how people know you. Um, so was there any kind of that, uh, I, I wouldn't even call it identity crisis, but that sort of like transition, um, you know, was that difficult for you?
2: Um, it, it was fun. It was it wasn't difficult. Uh, it was a totally different, you know a totally different way of approaching music um and it was uh it was just fun because you know i I had a i had a, a stage name i had costume i had all this insulation so to speak and it was just very liberating to kind of just say hey i can i now i'm gonna write very straightforward country songs for god's sakes and um you know, dress up in this old sparkly suit and be a clown, you know, but a sad clown. And, um, it was not, it wasn't hard for me. I think uh, I'm sure that a lot of anybody who cared, if anybody cared really, they, they were maybe shocked or jarred by it. But at the same time, it was so absurd that, you know, even our, you know, Hardest rock and friends seemed to appreciate that it was just it was fun. You know that was another, that was part of it. I really wanted to have fun. I was kind of at at the moment tired of being a trying to be a serious rocker. Not that there wasn't a lot of laughter around in in and around the band. I mean we're all a bunch of goofballs, but um, but it was really fun to sort of take it to that next ridiculousness
1: sure you want to be able to let your hair down and obviously be yeah. something completely different than what you yeah. previously were
2: yeah it was it was really fun yeah and still is i mean i still i still do that you right. know we once a month at least it's just kind of like a, you know just going, you know, taking a walk through the country.
1: Sure. (laughs) That's cool. And I'm sure it's interesting for you to, uh, you know, get feedback in regards to, um, you know, these sort of interviews and obviously the press cycle you're doing about the new record. Um, you know, I guess since you've, you know, uh, quote unquote come back as far as releasing new music and the idea that you, you know, you're going to be you know active and playing shows here and there. Mm -hmm. Um, What's kind of been you know a surprising element that you might not have considered before you started to you know put yourself out there and work with Spartan Records and do all that sort of stuff,
2: right? Um, uh, let's see. Well, what would be what's surprising? Well, I guess I was surprised in a way of uh, just the writing process, at how um, how fast the the music came, the guitar parts and stuff, because. Before, when we kind of f- closed closed the doors um, in 97, it was very literally, you know, that the, just the ideas weren't coming. I guess we, I personally as a key member didn't, you know, I just wasn't feeling it. I just didn't have any ideas. I felt like I'd stretched my fingers as far as I could at that moment. And then, so it was interesting to me whenever we s- decided we were going to start writing this stuff that how f- I mean, I guess it doesn't didn't really surprise me because it, it maybe in a way had been pent up, you know. I'd been I'd done some things, but it hadn't really um, been trying to come up with ten or twelve new rock riffs. Um, but anyway, that came pretty quick, uh, and I've written about this too. That the words, you know, that that was a little hard, uh, more difficult. I felt like to kind of. come back from the very straightforward style of writing, you know, five albums and country songs Mm -hmm. in 20 years. Um, but ultimately I felt like it was, you know, it was a cool, um, process of, you know, sort of the way I used to do things where I would just basically just drivel on sheet after sheet of paper and then kind of go back through and say, well, that's kind of an interesting, um, image or idea or thought. Sure. Um, so those different things were a little um, surprising, but then, um, and it was surprising of how long it actually did take, and how many. <laughs> whenever you, you can only get together once a week versus three times a week, how much longer it can take with stuff. So I, I guess we figured it would happen. We would be done sooner than it than three years. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think about the, but just like the whole label thing. I mean, we were surprised that someone wanted to help us, uh, because we've figured all we could really do maybe is come up with some songs and press a record on our own. If we could cobble, you know, scrape together enough money. Um, and so it was surprising in, in a way for us that that someone w- was willing to you know help us make that happen yeah you, you want to pay to press our record are you sure right about that? yeah right yeah <laughs> that's right you know i mean i we definitely had some moments where i was like listen you, you have to really know i just want to say this again we cannot we're not going to be on the road really supporting <laughs> this for months or yep. weeks even at a time i mean we will definitely try to do whatever we can and we do love to get out and play but It's just, you know, well, let's be, we have to be very realistic before you, you know before you decide you really want to get in with this. Yeah. So that was cool. And it's surprising too. I mean, how many people, you know, remember us at all? You know, we just kind of were, you know, we figured, you know, when you're out there and you're, you know, you do two tours and no one really knows who you are at all. Um, 20 years ago, you're playing to your, you know, your friends in the band and, um, and you know, maybe five people or six or something. Sometimes maybe you know, occasionally the couple places that would be a big room. But um, but then to think, you know, then this many years later to think that people that something you did was maybe memorable or people still. Can get something from those early records is is pretty exciting and surprising.
1: Totally, yeah. You're like no no one should ostensibly care about what we do anymore,
2: right? Yeah, <laughs>
1: yeah. You're like there's, there's plenty of other things to occupy your time with. Why are you caring about Giants Chair? Right. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, the last thing I want to hit on was like you know so what does your uh, I guess quote unquote real life look like? Like you mentioned you're you know you build uh, stages yeah. and props and what have you for mm-hmm. children's theater. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and so uh, I, I presume that you have been doing that for quite some time you know basically balancing all of the musical projects and then you know doing this
2: yeah it's yeah i kind of backed into it um i you know i was uh not that you ask how I got there. Really no, I did. I did. I, it's fine. I, yeah, I'll okay. take it. I'll take it. <laughs> I had, um, yeah, I was, it's funny cause we were, my wife was in grad school in Buffalo and by this time the country band hadn't, um, we were kind of starting to, you know, get back to real life too. We had done that by then, I think f- f- uh, three records and for bloodshot records and we were, you know, had toured on all those and then, um, we were kind of getting back to real life. My wife and I had moved to Buffalo, New York, to for her to be in grad school. So we were there for a couple of years, and I was kind of just picking up gig work here and there with you know whatever odd jobs or anything. And I had a band up there, and one of the um, well so for first we were having a halloween party and we lived in this house and there was an apartment that you, an old dilapidated apartment in the attic that they used to rent out at some point but because of fire codes they couldn't do that anymore and they just had given us the key my wife and i had to you know to use it for storage or whatever and we were having a halloween party so i did, decided to do a haunted house up there for this party and i just got absolutely obsessed with it and i just decided i wanted to make fake stuff and um you know, cause I was, I've always been kind of crafty or, you know, could, like I said, paint or draw or build things, weird things. And so, um, we, I got so into that and I, I had a friend in a band in the, one of my country bands in Buffalo who sometimes helped turn theaters around between sh- productions. And so I kind of got my foot in the door that way. And then, and then we ended up so I did as much of that as I could find. And then we moved out to Santa Fe for a year when she, she got had an internship out there and, um, and I got, you know, I was working at a a community theater in Santa Fe for that year. And then we ultimately came back to Kansas city and I just kind of cold dropped a, um, a resume around and had just enough experience to, to get called by this theater that I've been at for now 12 years. And it's been a really fun ride. And and we do a lot of really cool work. It's kind of a, um, I guess, edutainment type place. Um, so we do, we do a lot of, uh, um, literature based or civil rights things. Um, not all of it. I mean, like right now we have Charlie Brown Christmas up, so we do some fun stuff
1: too. if
2: you, if you call Charlie Brown Christmas fun, um, some people do, some people don't, sure. we do. <laughs> I agree. He's a, he's pretty funny. Um, so anyway, that's how I got in theater and that's, um, what my day job is, you know, just kind of, and I maintain the facility some, so i kind of a handyman there, so to speak.
1: Sure. Um, a Jack of all trades. <laughs> yep jack yeah. of all trades master, master of none, for sure yeah. hey man yeah. well well, welcome to everybody that is involved in independent music you're like exactly. i can't just do one thing i'll just do a bunch <laughs> of things okay
2: it's exactly right it's so ridiculous it is. but it's yeah. fine it keeps you thinking
1: yeah head no, scratching it totally does it totally does well scott thank you so much for hanging out dude this was super fun and i really appreciate you uh letting me uh, pick around your life
2: i mean i appreciate it ray and thanks for the good questions and the good conversation
1: Boom! There we go. That was Scott. I really appreciate that interview, and I also appreciate his publicist, Mike, for hooking it up. Um, I just always like it when when friends are able to make the connection for you. You know, so thank you very much, Mike. Thank you very much, Scott. And next week we have Ronan Kaufman. He is the vocalist from Zombie Apocalypse, and he also played in a band called Trial Fail. Try, fail, try. And he also was the host of a very influential podcast to me personally called Issue Oriented. It was a uh, short-lived thing. You know, I mean, he did it for about maybe two years, I want to say, and, you know, 40 or 50 episodes. But this was like at the dawn of podcasts <laughs> as far as uh, I want to say, gosh, it was like maybe two thousand maybe 2006 2007 somewhere around there but uh yeah ronan is a very good friend and i hadn't spoken to him in quite some time so we were able to make this happen so that's what i got next week it's a it's it's a fun one so until then please be safe everybody hey
0: miles yes it's jack from work yes hi did you know that we host a daily news and culture podcast where people can go to get caught up on what is happening Are you, yes, are you confused about that? You're talking about the Daily Zeitgeist. I just to make sure you knew and that everybody knew that you could listen to us every day, twice a day, talk about what is happening, and they could learn everything without feeling the life drain from their soul. Yeah, I think at the Daily Zeitgeist, we like to give people a balance of just enough news that they feel informed and just enough laughs that they're not overwhelmed and can have a decent day after listening. So guys, listen to The Daily Zeitgeist on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever fine podcasts are given away for free.